0: So Money, episode 535, Lisa Stromberg, author of Work, Pause, Thrive. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life. Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnush Tarabi. Guess what? It's my birthday. Yeah, I'm recording this interview prior to the big day, but I just noticed it's 2.15. Oh, my goodness. And I'm huge right now. I'm about to give birth any week now. So cross your fingers for me that it's going to go well. Today is my day to celebrate and just wanted to you know say happy birthday to me. So there it is. And on this day, I'm going to be celebrating myself, but also women all over the world. And our guest today is really a champion for women. A little anecdote. So I'm the Worst self employer uh, by some measures. I'm only giving myself some four weeks of maternity leave. And the only way that I can really afford this, how I'm affording this, is working my butt off in the months prior to taking the time off and the months after. But at the same time, I think I'm also very lucky. You know, I get to decide what works for me as a business owner. Uh, I can also afford to hire the necessary help to give my family and my business the um, support that it needs. So I'm really fortunate. And if I choose to take four weeks off, it's it is a choice. And not to mention, I have a husband who really values family and has forever prioritized family over his job. And that's a precious, priceless gift to all of us. And doesn't also hurt that his company, a startup, by the way run largely by millennials, gives four weeks of paid maternity leave to the father employees. Not bad, right? Considering some you know, blue chip companies don't even have paternity leave for dads. So this brings us to the issue of opting out and family leave. It's a topic that we're going to explore today on the show. Uh, as you know, I'm very interested in this. And when I heard that our next guest had a book coming out on this very issue... I jumped at the chance to invite her on the show. Lisa Stromberg is here, and she is the author of the new book, Work, Pause, Thrive, How to Pause for Parenthood Without Killing Your Career. Leeson actually took time off herself after having her second child. She then pivoted to another career shortly thereafter. And in her research for the book, she interviewed 186 women and surveyed 1,500 women to figure out how other successful moms have leveraged their time off from work to achieve not just professional Success, but their personal ones as well. Opting out comes at a cost, of course. And so Leeson breaks down the financial trade-offs that families need to consider when making the decision to leave a job temporarily. And we also discuss the good pressure the millennials are placing on workplace norms to give workers more flexibility and family support, like at my husband's company. And the $1.6 million she walked away from, essentially, to be able to opt out and why she still did it. More about Leeson, she's a CEO and founder of Prism Work, where she and her team work with companies, leaders, and advocates to make sure women and millennials are thriving in the workplace. She's also the COO of the 3% Movement, committed to changing the ratio of women in leadership in the ad industry. Here we go. Here's Leeson Stromberg. Leeson Stromberg, welcome to So Money. So refreshing to have a guest on the show, especially now with the new year kicking off, encouraging us to take pause.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Pranish.
0: I feel as though if your book was published, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or even five years ago, that it would be extremely controversial to say to, especially women, your target audience, hey, it's okay to opt out. Because we've been hearing over the years about the perils of women who leave the workforce only to face an uphill battle when they want to reemerge into their careers. And you're saying that now this is probably a good step and and you, you want to teach women how to how to basically migrate back into the workforce as seamlessly as possible can it have you noticed that it's easier now than it maybe was in the past
1: well, I want to answer all of the questions because you said a lot of things. And I want to make sure I deconstruct them. So let me start with the big picture, which is, in fact, I'm not saying women should pause their careers, uh, and and I certainly wouldn't encourage that. What I'm saying is many, many women have and will. Either they'll leave the paid workforce completely, or they'll downshift and work part-time, or do something that allows them to integrate their family with their careers. My argument to women is to think about the long view on your career, And that whatever intensity you have right now, be it your home intensity or your work intensity, that will pass over time. And so you have to sort of keep that long view in mind. And if it means that for you, the right decision is to downshift or pause your career, then do it, but do it with intelligence and having it be part of your strategic intention with your career and your life.
0: Because the issue in the past has been that we took pause without a pl- an exit strategy, without a de pause yeah. button. Right.
1: Exactly. And the, and the truth of the matter is, a lot of us left. You know, I'm a Gen Xer, and a lot of us left without a plan. And that's my argument. It's like, if you choose to leave, there are lots of good reasons and not so good reasons to leave. If you choose to leave, that's your decision. But make it and be empowered about that. What I found was that many of the women I interviewed, and I interviewed 186 women for the book, and I surveyed nearly 1,500 more. Many of the ones who were most successful in their journey actually had a very strategic intention about how they did it. But what they did, interestingly, and what makes me sort of heartbroken, is they actually hid their pause is because they felt that that might look like they weren't ambitious or, you know, professionally driven, etc. And in fact, we know now that that's not the truth. It's harder even for men to take pause
0: in their careers. Did you find I, that's what the studies have found? Did you see any kind of adversity that men have that's different than women when they opt out of the workforce?
1: Well, I think it's absolutely true that men face a double whammy when they choose to put family first. What they are doing is challenging our traditional notions of masculinity as male as the provider, and they're taking a professional pause, right? So they're doing two things that we're not comfortable with because we expect our workers to be all in all of the time. And I think that they do face a double whammy. We're seeing more and more men become stay-at-home dads, and many people say, oh, this is a great trend, and I know it would be really great if the work face allowed all of us to Actually thrive while working and have an engaged family life. So yes, I think men facing are facing challenges now. Of course, traditionally men have called it a sabbatical. Um, <laughs> we're taking a sabbatical, right? Okay. And when you you know when you frame it that way, that's very smart strategic. I'm taking a one year sabbatical. This mm-hmm. is what I'm going to do, and this is great. Smart move.
0: You talked about workplace structures. I want to get to that in a second because a lot of this effort, a lot of this movement will depend on the X, the resources and the provisions that the workplace, capital W, provides us families, not just women. But going back to helping somebody who's contemplating taking time off and being strategic, so many of us decide to take time off to be with our families because it comes down to the economics and you dedicate a whole chapter yeah. to money in your book. What should the math look like? And because you're not just losing a salary, potentially, you're losing the ability to invest in your retirement account. You might lo- lose some of your health care benefits, potentially, I don't know, depending on your setup uh, prior to it. And of course, you're, you're not paying into Social Security. So there's that. And as women, we're living longer, we have to take better care of ourselves financially. So how do you reconcile all of that and do the right
1: math? So it's a really important question, and the answer is it's really hard to pause and actually maintain a lifetime income, right? I mean, if you're actually going to take yourself out of the paid workforce, you're going to lose all of the things you suggested. You're going to lose access to your social security, you know, inputting to your social security. You're going to lose that daily income that you get. You're going to lose all the things that having an income matters and and is so important. And so doing this is very important that you're being strategic. But let me pull back and start with a big message which is so many of the women i spoke to said well i'm the one who left my career because my husband was a making more money than i was and so i we figured that my salary against child care it was more expensive to have child care well fine except for both of you are actually parents of those children so both of your salaries should be applied against that child care so that's one thing i asked a lot of women to reconsider the problem of course is with the next sort kind of next generation millennials many of them have big student loans, and then on top of that, horrible childcare expenses. And they're forced to leave because they can't afford to do both. It's a real problem.
0: It is. And there's actually a website. I'll put it on the blog later for listeners where you can go and calculate your potential loss of earnings over time if you leave work for, you know, six months, six years, whatever it is. It's, it's really good to put things in perspective, but I, I was just saying so, to my- So I did, for news, yeah. to interrupt
1: you, I did that mm-hmm. 1.6 million. I lost 1.6 wow. million by being a work workforce for five years. Wow. So that's a lot of heck, a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, <laughs> I mean, in the, in my lifetime, that's a big, tremendous hit. And uh, so I am encouraging women to be really smart about it. Now, do I have regrets about making the choices I did? No. For me, ultimately, it was the right decision. But if I had spent the time to have done the analysis in advance, I might have done it differently. I might have handled it in a different way.
0: Right. I mean, money isn't everything, but it is an important part of the calculation. Because um, so well, often we start it, there. We, that's where we
1: start well, you know, with the economics. Right. I mean, you know, I'm so many of the women I spoke to who struggled with their decisions, who have actually pulled out of the downshift of their careers, they ended up divorced or their husband lost their jobs. The economic security that they had when they had that partner who could provide the health care and could provide that foundation, for whatever reason, went away. And when it goes away, what do you do? There's no safety net there if you've been out of the paid workforce. So being really smart about how you're going to handle it and what you're going to do. So one of the things, for example, I did is I always continued to give into my IRA at the top amount possible. So at least I knew even though my, while I was out of the paid workforce, I was still providing for my retirement. So I, I knew that that was really important. I also did insurance. I maintained my own insurance. So that if something were to happen to me, my family wouldn't be completely, you know, traumatized financially.
0: When you interviewed women and even in, from your own life, what, what were some of the common denominators as far as strategy for getting back in the workforce and getting a
1: job and
0: getting back on top?
1: Well, I, what happened was I found that there were sort of three key paths. There were women who I called cruisers. These are women who maybe didn't completely leave the leave the paid workforce. They worked part time. Uh, maybe they consulted pretty aggressively for a while. You know, they basically kept their their toes in the in the water, if you will. They had the easiest time reengaging because what they did is they never had an issue losing it. There were two other groups of women. There were those whom I called boomerangs—women who completely left the paid workforce and then went back to their same industry. Sometimes even their same jobs at their same companies, but certainly they're the same industries and professional field. And then the third group were pivoters, women who completely changed careers and went in a new way, used the pause to evaluate what I really want to do in life, and then kind of spring. use that as a springboard to move to the next thing. And those women, each of those two groups who had left the paid workforce completely had different strategies to get them to move ahead. Um, But I'll tell you one thing that I heard again and again was maintaining your network while you were pausing and being very clear in viewing yourself as a professional who, whether you're paid or not, are still engaged in your career.
0: Yeah, so important. And I mean, LinkedIn is one way to do it. But, you know, if you have 30 minutes, go out and get that coffee or, you know, go to the evening networking event, join a meetup, do something to get out of the house. You need to get out of the house anyway, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 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 Although I will say many of the women I spoke to said some of their best business deals happened on the playground because they met a woman who, you know, so those networks aren't necessarily business networks. They can happen in all kinds of venues uh, now. So don't presume that um, just because it's a business meeting or just because it's a play date isn't necessarily a business opportunity.
0: Well, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I was at a potluck for my son's preschool and it was just the parents. And uh, my last book, is, was called When She Makes More, 10 Rules for Bread Winning Women. And this, I love mom, it. This, thank you. This mom came up to me. She's like, Farnoosh, I read your book. And <laughs> just like that, you know, and I was like, of course, that's how we would talk about it. Like in public, we would whisper about this topic because it's still so taboo. Or, and I said, oh, my gosh. Or, and so I I was like – and she's like, I, a lot of my girlfriends are in this boat and we don't know how to talk about it. I said, listen, let's get together. Let's do a book club. Let's do a book night and I'll I'll provide the books. And so you're right. I mean, uh, we women especially, we have a way of connecting and finding each other and building each other up. And um, no matter where you are, the playground, Starbucks – a meet up. So take advantage of that. You also talk it's in so your true. book. Yeah. It, what I love that you really uh, mentioned in your book and you highlighted was the importance of being in a good partnership and how that mm-hmm. having that support system, whether it's a, through a partner or uh, however you, you know, you choose to create that, that community for yourself is vital to a woman's success. Oh, there's no question.
1: Yeah. I, what I found, let, let's be really clear. If you're a woman who doesn't have a partner or, um, for whatever reason doesn't have a community that can support you, maybe you have, your, you know, your limited resources or whatever, the whole concept of pausing feels very foreign, right? You know, I'm a single mom, how the hell could I pause? And what I discovered was, in fact, we do pauses in so many different ways, right? I mean, arguably, you could say when I'm taking time out of my workforce, to my workday to go to my child's soccer game, that's my pause. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm completely out of the paid workforce. So understanding how we do it that doesn't necessarily mean we have to completely leave the paid workforce to actually take a moment, get clear on what our priorities and move forward. Um, It's so important, but that partner was key. It was also, partners were also a problem too, interestingly enough. A number of the women who left the paid workforce didn't want to do so, but when they had a husband who had as successful a career as they did, something had to give and oftentimes they gave their career up as a result. And that's a real tragedy when we can't have those two careers of couples really going for it in a great way because the workplace doesn't support us to do that, men or women. It's a real problem. Well, what do you
0: think, what's your temperature, what's the temperature read on the current workplace setup now and where we're headed, given maybe even somehow politically what's influencing workplace temperament uh, for and against women?
1: Well, I actually think about it as being for or against those with caregiving responsibilities, whatever that is. So I spoke to a number of women who didn't pause their career for children, but had to care for their parents when they were aging. And that's what forced them to pause their career. And I spoke to a number of men who wanted to pause but couldn't because they were locked into this ideal worker twenty four seven workplace expectation and they couldn't do what they wanted to do. But we have two forces happening, right? 64 million millennials are going to become parents in the next decade. Okay, so we've got a huge opportunity and they are the kind of people that say, look, I value time over money. The number one thing millennials report they value is flexibility in the workplace. And they, they value relationships over sort of linear career success. They all want to be successful. They're very ambitious. But the kind of linear, up-the-ladder career mode just doesn't appeal to them. And so they will take risks to support their relationships, take professional risks to support their relationships. If we, the companies, want to keep that talent and attract or keep that talent, they have to figure out how to serve that talent best. Otherwise, the talent's going to leave. I think Ersten Young calls the millennial the go generation because they're willing to go anytime it's not working. And it's absolutely true. So um, yes, we're in a temperament in a mode right now that might feel like, it's not as supportive as it could be, but I think it's going to have to be if it's going to want to keep a talent.
0: Yeah, those millennials are a force to be reckoned with. That's a great point. Uh, it's, it's not about waiting for the system to change. It's the system changing with us, this gen- new generation. Yeah. And and basically, yeah. if they want to maintain their success, they have to adhere and they have to be willing yeah. to give us what we want. And
1: And I see it all the time. So my day job, I'm the COO of the 3% Movement. We're dedicated to advancing women in leadership in the advertising industry. And I had the pleasure of uh, speaking and interviewing um, Tadef Onar, who's the uh, Chief Talent Officer at 72 and Sunny. Tadef realized that their entire workforce was in that key childbearing, and child-rearing years. And so they completely changed their workforce policies around parenting. They've expanded parental leave to six months. They're creating all kinds of coaching support. I mean, they're getting that if they want to keep that talent, they've got to do something. The same is happening here in Silicon Valley. I live here in San Francisco. We're seeing Facebook, you know, uh, Google, Apple, they're changing everything because their average age of their employees are 30. And if they don't want to have a mass drain of talent, they are going to have to figure out how to support working parents. And again, this might feel like a women's issue, but the truth of the matter is it's a parenting issue.
0: Right. And I love what you say in your book, that when we support families, everybody wins. Families, industry, yeah. the country. um I'd love to explore your personal journey now a little bit, Lisa, as you pivoted from opting out to be home with your kids. And prior to that, you were a marketing and ad exec, to now your career, as today, so many dimensions to your career journalist, <laughs> um, author, f- founder of Prism Work. Um, so tell us a little bit how you strategized your own
1: uh, reemergence. Well, I wouldn't do what I did. <laughs> And I say that because there was no plan ahead of me. The gig working concept was not uh, clear for me. And so I literally had to trailblaze and innovate my own path. I had to follow my passion, follow my nose, follow my skill set, and get really clear about what was true for me. Now, I believe every single person should do that. But my the truth of it, for me, it was much more reactive and proactive. I wrote this book for my 30-year-old self. I wanted to know what did I need to know to have a really great career. And I focused it around parenthood. But the truth of the matter is, I think this book could apply to anyone who's trying to figure out how can I navigate the next 40, 50 years of my Because I'm going to have so many other priorities besides just working, although I want work to be rewarding and impactful. And how do I do that? So, so that would be my big headline. Don't follow my path, but read my book. Um, um, The other thing, the one thing I did do, do and I, and I, and I saw so many successful women do this as well as I always assumed I was, I was engaged in my career, my professional life behind. I always, I sat on boards. I was actively involved in the community. I took leadership positions in my volunteer jobs. I consulted. Um, I never lost my, my sense of myself as a professional. And I think that. Is really important, and the women who were most successful in downshifting and or pausing completely and then reengaging—that's how they view themselves as professionals who are taking a temporary sabbatical, and that's the way I would view it. You also
0: come across as someone who has very strong values when it comes to your financial identity. I love to hear that you continue to contribute to your IRA, you continue to keep your health insurance. So this begs the question, Lisa, what is your financial philosophy? Our money mantra as a professional woman and as a mom?
1: You know, I think it's sort of like telling my children to brush their teeth every day, you know, or floss. Maybe I guess is another way to look at it. We're hearing that flossing doesn't matter. And my answer back was, well, you know what? Maybe it does. We don't really know. So why don't you be attentive to flossing every single day? I think being responsible with your money and being smart around your money and being conscious around your money really matters. Now I make a lot of choices that might not seem Fiscally conservative, but I do them as investments in parts of my life. Like I'll invest in myself, I'll invest in my children. I'm lucky enough to have a partner who's really attentive and cares a lot about being fiscally responsible, um, and so that matters a lot to me. I'm I'm lucky in that I have that. I don't have someone who's fiscally irresponsible as my partner, which means I'm freed up to do a lot of really great things. So you so yeah, you're leveraging the opposition. It's good. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because I will, I'm more likely to say, hey, it's really important for us as a family to go on vacation. Let's, And he will say, okay, I get it. Let's figure out how we can financially afford it in 2017 or whatever the year might be. So we're great that way because we really, you know, we want life experiences and we also want to figure out how we can afford these life experiences. And we're willing to make trade-offs. You know, we're willing to invest in mm-hmm. things that really matter for us and let go of things that don't. And that's hard. In my book, you'll read that we really invested in our children's education. and That mattered to us. It mattered to us so much that we're ultimately going to probably sell the home that we raised our children in because we were going to downsize and then be free in our life in the long term. And that's okay with us. We're really excited about this next phase of our lives it's, as our children are launching and heading to college.
0: The, the chips fall into place once you figure out what your actual values and goals are. And you can't have a million goals and values. You have to have like, you know, your core um, non-negotiables. And then I think... Exactly. It just becomes a lot easier to steer your financial decisions. And and that's why I always say your goals, your money is meaningless without goals. So, uh, I love really that. I live. think,
1: yeah, I mean, I have the chapter in the book, as you mentioned, and it's called Money Matters Plan Accordingly. And it, that's a quote from a woman who I interviewed who had a very successful career and actually managed to negotiate a part time. She's vice president of a healthcare insurance company, managed to negotiate a part time gig, did that for ultimately ended up pausing her career because her husband had a startup and she was investing in his startup. By being the one who was caring for the family at home, well, ultimately they got divorced, right? And so she said, "Well, he got a startup, and I got, I got divorced." Yeah. And so she said, in hindsight, I wish I had understood that money matters, and I should have planned accordingly. And I think part of that is understanding your goals. And I think you're so right, Farnoosh. If you don't know what is Important to you, you're always reacting, not being proactive, and um, it's not always clear. I can't claim I always know what's right for me, but um, at the end of the day, you have to make, be able to live, make make do and make accept your choices and the consequences of your choices. Right?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. When you were growing up, you spoke about you know in hindsight. Now, in hindsight, what was a an experience that you had growing up as a kid that really now as an adult you're like, wow, that was a very Teachable moment for me when it came to money. I learned so much from that experience, even if it wasn't even something that you went through that you witnessed. What's a,
1: what's a good story? I got my first job at thirteen when I when I fibbed and said I was sixteen, and was working in an ice cream parlor, and I. Got the job. And my dad was like, you don't need to you know, have a job, etc. I can take care of you. And he really generously meant that he really wanted to be able to support me. But the liberating feeling of knowing that I had a paycheck and I could go out and buy the tennis shoes I wanted or whatever it was without having to ask permission to me was Absolutely liberating. And that to me was life-changing. Having that freedom so that I didn't have to rely on somebody else to provide for me really mattered. Now, of course, that changed when I became someone who wasn't bringing in income in my marriage. And that was tough for me. And so for me, the life lesson was really be able to be clear on knowing that finance. for me, financial independence was really important. And I didn't understand how important it was until I didn't have it. And so um, that's the lesson. It was a bookend lesson, really.
0: I know that feeling. I I think my very first memory of money was, I think four or five years old at the mall, unable to buy something for myself. I had to like the idea of having to ask for permission to to buy yeah. something, really bothered me. And it's why, I, as soon as I could, got my worker's permit, worked several jobs in college. I think that that is, um, I don't know. I'm thankful for that. I don't know if that's in my DNA or that was just. You know my environment, but it's—I don't think for, in your life too. I don't think it's—I uh, think it's not a coincidence that you now are very entrepreneurial and you, the, you have the lens that you do regarding you know, it's, money. And I work. think it's—I,
1: I think you're right, Fanny. I think it really is inspiring to know that the buck stops with me. It's also terrifying, right? Yes. Because as I spoke to a number of female entrepreneurs, and I interviewed a number of them. There's that constant hustle. If you're a gig gig worker. Uh, which many millennials and many, you know, sort of women who are quote unquote pausing are doing, right. They're doing consulting gigs that you're constantly hustling. And so you have to have the temperament to like to do that and want to do that. And right. that's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, so. And that's like hustling is easy,
0: but it's definitely more doable and manageable now than it was say before uh, the internet
1: <laughs> or even just yeah, before Facebook sure. or, you know, uh, email. That's for darn sure. It's such a blessing and a curse, right? When I first left my, I was a vice president of the advertising agency and I went first left my job, I consulted and did strategy consulting and, and marketing consulting with startups here in Silicon Valley. And, um, You know, it was a lot harder to do it then. It was great, uh, but it was a lot harder. Now it's just so much easier. I can do so much more work. This distributed workforce, the fact that my clients are, you know, all over the world and I can work with them is exciting. And, um, there's no question that they know I'll deliver the work when we want it, as we need it, because they're used to having that distributed workforce. It's, we don't, the FaceTime is becoming less, um, of a must do these days.
0: What was your biggest
1: financial failure? I can tell you right now, my husband was in business school and I was supporting us and I was racking up credit card debt like there is no tomorrow. So when he graduated from business school, and because, frankly, I, I didn't understand how to use a credit card. I didn't under, I literally did not understand it. I was 22 years old, 23 years old, and I did not understand. So I was putting him through business school. I was supporting us completely, and I wasn't being financially responsible. I racked up, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I'll say it on, online or on podcasts. I racked up $13,000 of credit card debt. It was mm. awful. And we had to borrow money from his parents who really basically were very generous, who didn't have it really to give to us, but they did. And um, I've never had credit card debt again in my life. And I coach my children to not have credit card debt. Just don't go there. It's
0: not worth it. You don't need that thing. Oh, and then you get to get the bailout from your parents. Oh,
1: Oh, I know. I know. Mm -hmm. And my husband was the first in his family to go to college. So this really came out of their mortgage. They were very generous to do that to us, for us. And uh, they were wonderful people. I'm so grateful to them. But I will never wreck a credit card debt again. Good thing I learned it young.
0: Yes, fall hard when you're young. That's uh... a <laughs> and so it's true. You got to so make true. those mistakes. You almost have to make those mistakes because you don't want yeah. that to become your reality in your in your life today. My gosh, when you've got so much more on your plate.
1: Yes, exactly right. Like right. college tuition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, just a minor expense. Exactly. What okay? Let's flip it. What is your so money moment, Leeson? When all the financial stars came together.
1: You know, honestly, Farnoosh, it feels like it's happening now. It feels like the world really is working the way I like to work, meaning I love to be entrepreneurial and I love to be a problem solver. I, I feel like, you know, I do culture innovation consulting. So I help companies figure out how to create thriving workplaces and how to actually attract, retain and promote women and other un- underrepresented um, groups. And, it feels like the world really needs answers. It's I'm not busy trying to convince them there's an issue. They know there's an issue and they're desperate for support and help. And it feels like that couldn't be better. This book, I can't tell you how many people have said, I need this book. And it's so exciting to be able to say, look, we all want to lean in, but let's lean into the full bloom of our lives. And what does that look like? And how can we be smart about that? So, yes. My money moment
0: feels like now. Yeah. Well, speaking of lean in, what's... Oh, Overall, uh, what did you like about the book? What did you wish it
1: had more of? Well, this is why I wrote my book. Yeah. I think Lean In had a lot of so many important messages that had to be conveyed about women's careers and what to do. But the answer is it sort of stopped at parenthood. It didn't really address parenthood in a meaningful way. And I had so many young women turning to me saying, how do I lean in to my career when I have children or I want to have children? What do I do? And so literally that is what inspired me to write this book. It's like there are answers. Women are doing this already. This is already happening. You can do it. You don't have to abandon everything and jump shit. You can be smart and strategic about your career. And if pausing makes sense for you, no judgment there. Don't worry, you can re-engage and you can have a thriving life over the long term. And if it doesn't, be smart about what that means, why it might not make sense to you.
0: What about this theory that in order to be successful at work, you have to kind of adhere to the traditional male oriented rules? You know, this even this concept of leaning in is very male, you know, because that's is. that's what men do. So what ladies, let's do what they do. So is what's the how do you what do you make of that? Do you like that? Uh, is it just, I mean, it's part of that is just, un, you can't, it's hard to ignore.
1: Well, you're asking a really great question, of course, as always. You're so good with all these good questions. Here's the truth of it. Again, I look to millennials because millennials, men and women are saying, I don't want to just lean into my career. I wanted to lean into the full bloom of my life. I want to be able to have a rich family life. I want to be richly engaged with my community and I want to be richly engaged in my career. What does that look like? So they're challenging that ideal worker paradigm that says you have to be all in all the time. We call it male, but I actually think it's not less male than it is sort of an ideal worker construct. So look, the answer is that construct where we all, where there's this presumption that we have someone at home taking care of our needs, just isn't a reality for the vast majority of us, nor necessarily should it be. Let's figure out how we can actually have this rich life in various ways. And what's going to happen ultimately is the workplace is going to have to catch up because we know millennials just won't put up with it. They're the go generation. So back to your question, how do you do this? And I think the way we do this is when we men and women are more transparent with their truth. What we know, there's all kinds of research that says men lead to go to their kids soccer games, men lead to do all these things, but they fake it and call it a meeting or they kind of don't aren't honest that they're actually leaving that job because it's too intense. And they don't have enough family time. In fact, a study out of Ernst & Young showed that men more than women are likely to change jobs to have better work-life balance. So we're finding that, in fact, men are stepping up and saying, this is not good enough for me. And so women, of course, are saying, it's not good enough for me either. I don't want it.
0: Well, you hit it on the nail right there. I mean, I think this has to be a conversation for men and women to speak up about. And we need just as many advocates from men... Male advocates, as we have female advocates like you saying, this is important to everybody. And I think, you know, just like any other equal rights issue, whether it's like gay rights, you know, it's not just a gay rights issue. It's, it's family. It's, it's civil rights. It's human rights. So when we expand it to not just this issue that impacts this one minority group, uh, I think then people really start to, uh, stop and take notice. And by people, I mean industry.
1: Well, I actually argue this isn't about, you know, a minority issue or or a gender equality issue. This is about business. Yeah. All of the research shows that when you actually have gender parity, when you have more women in the mix, businesses do better. You know, companies thrive. People are happier. I mean, it's like, hello. I know. And so I think it's not. This is this has gotten beyond being about gender equality, and really gotten to the point that this is really about business. If you want to be profitable, then you need to figure out how to support women and men to bring their full bloom and of uh, who they are, and that means supporting parents in the workplace, yes. or those with caregiving responsibilities, whatever that might. Yeah, be Yeah,
0: caregiving like. responsibilities. So you're taking care of your parents, your any dependents. All right, Lisa, yep. we have a little bit of more time left. I'd love to do some so money, fill in the blanks with you. Really quick, Good. finish this sentence. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say 100 million bucks, the first thing I would do is?
1: Set up a foundation to give the vast majority of it away. What would I get to do with a hundred million dollars? <laughs> There's a lot of really important. Spoken like a depth, true female.
0: I, I think it's I'd so love great. To make
1: use of it. This is why
0: women need to make more. Because when the when women make more, the world becomes a better place. It's not a coincidence exactly that so right. many women I ask this question of or finish the sentence, they say I want to give it away. Um, I love that answer. Thank you. All right. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is.
1: I am so lucky to have the best housekeeper in the world. My life is better when my house is tidy. When you yeah. know, so there you have it. That is money yep. well spent. That's the first thing my husband and I agreed on early on in our marriage was to get someone to come and clean the house. And we've never given that up. Come hell or high water. That is we're sticking with that. That's great that he
0: agreed with you. Sometimes husbands are not on board. They're like, Well, we can oh do my it. Gosh. Yeah.
1: No, no. He's a he's a total partner that way and he completely agreed with me.
0: My number one splurge, something I spend a lot of money on, but I wouldn't have it any other way, is I love
1: to go get my haircut <laughs> And it's expensive <laughs> to get my hair cut. But that hair massage and getting it yes. cut. The double shampoo, dry. the conditioner. Exactly. Yeah, I'm with the you. Blow dry, the it's blow all day. Dry. It's <laughs> it could be. Well, unfortunately, that's I don't have all day for it. But when I do it, it is worth every cent. And so that's something I will splurge on that. Actually, I should say, also, I'm going to do a two answer here. I really value um, travel. And so when I get a chance to splurge for me, the second splurge after my haircut, that's a day That's a that's a <laughs> lifetime splurge. But um, I love traveling. And so when I spend my money, I like to travel and I don't just travel extensively. You know, I, I like Airbnb around the globe. I think it's mm-hmm. cool
0: i just reading Forbes' list of uh, 40 under 40 billionaires, and uh, like half the list is the Airbnb guys. Yeah. <laughs> so they're, yeah. They're, very, they're, ca- I, they're traveling very well. I don't know about the rest
1: exactly. of them. Exactly. I hope they're giving it all away
0: too. <laughs> yes. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is?
1: Um, I wish I had learned that I was going to be responsible for it, that the buck stopped with me. You know, I grew up with, my mother was a stay-at-home dad. My dad was a really successful business executive. He was a lawyer, and then he transitioned to business. And in my 1950s household, although it wasn't the 1950s, um, it didn't, you know, it didn't feel that like the buck stopped with me. And I really try and teach my children that really money is your responsibility. It's how you get through life. What you choose to do with it, how you choose to manage it, that is about your values, and you need to understand that. And I try and teach my children that lesson.
0: That's a great lesson. Oh, I can't wait till my son's a little bit older so I can teach him these things. He's only two and a half. No, so you've these, got a little bit of time. Yeah, <laughs> in my head I have all these things I want to tell him and show him. But um, He'll learn it. I'm sure you'll be phenomenal. Yeah, he has no choice. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. And when I donate, I like to give to blank because –
1: uh, i have I have been on the board of Planned Parenthood i my first volunteer job when I was sixteen was with Planned Parenthood I am a avowed supporter of Planned Parenthood because of the they are the healthcare supporter of so many women and men uh, many people don 't realize that only around three percent of their dollars go to funding um, abortions, the vast majority of their money goes to actually supporting under-resourced women and men to provide primary health care. And to me, given where we are, even with Obamacare, we desperately need that. And so Mm -hmm. that is an organization that I give to very frequently.
0: Awesome. Okay. And last but not least, I'm Lisa Stromberg. I'm so money because?
1: Because I'm helping other women be so money about their lives.
0: You are. Thank you so much for writing Work, Pause, Thrive. So needed. And I do think, like you said, it's really giving the complete kind of 360, picking up where Lean In finished, and so needed for women, for men, for families, for business. It's a gr- It's a must read for this year. So thanks for taking the time to stop by and wishing you oh, continued success. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for everything.
1: And to you as well.
0: That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Leeson, her website is leesonstromberg.com. She's also on Twitter at Leeson Stromberg. All of this is back at somoneypodcast.com. And while you're there, leave me a voicemail or drop me a note for the Friday Ask Farnoosh sessions. I'm not going on maternity leave yet, so catch me while you can. In the meantime, hope your day is so money.